Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. You guys are amazing. Merry Christmas. How many of you have not started shopping? A bunch of liars. I know that there's more of you that have yet to start. I need the pressure of the last minute to know what you really need. You know what I mean? So I don't really consider it like being, you know, a a lack of preparation. I, I really, I see it more as knowing myself. So I need Christmas Eve to know what you need, babe. I just, I need the pressure to reveal what you've been telling me for the entire year, right? So, I mean, no, no disrespect. If you haven't started yet, I'm right there with you. I actually have started, but only was because I was told what to get. So, so that, that's kind of in a different camp. You know, when someone says, get me this, and you're just executing a task, then it's, I can do that early. You know, but if it's like I got to come up with it, we're shopping till the store's closed. We're, 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 we're going to, to the store after the Christmas Eve service. Hey, I want to start off a little bit different um, and give you guys a little church news. Is that cool? Can we do a little update? Uh, tell you some things we're really excited about kind of launching into this new year. And it's been an amazing 2017 at Antioch. Amen? Uh, it's been amazing. God has done just beyond what we could ask or imagine seriously. We get asked often, like, man, how's it going? And, and, and literally find myself every single time saying, you know, like, it, I don't know if it could have gone any better. Like things, the, the people that are coming are amazing. Our teams are amazing. Like I, we love gathering together in, on Sundays. Our life group stuff's happening. We're seeing people make decisions to follow Jesus. We're seeing people healed from sicknesses. I mean, I don't know if it could have gone much better. It's been an amazing year. And, and you guys remember, if you can reach back, for those of you guys who have been with us for a little while, One of the big words that we were really hanging on to was out of the promise of Isaiah, which says, enlarge the place of your tents. Stretch wide your tent pegs. Lengthen your your cords and strengthen your stakes. And and we really have believed that and and hung on to that promise that we were going to be going into an expansion season. And I just want to say, did you know that we have added 30 babies in a month and a half? And so that in and of itself is an expansion. And, and so if you are not serving in kid stuff, they need you, okay? We, we don't like to talk about need a lot. We, we, we live in an abundance reality, not a need-based reality. But the reality is we need you because we went, we bonus to 30 babies in a month and a half, okay? So that's a lot. But, but that's not just the only aspect of our church that's been growing. It really is a picture of how God has been expanding us. And, and so through that, a few months ago, our team began to just realize, like, man, it's time for us to really start believing for that that associate pastor that can kind of come alongside and help us build out this dream that God's placed in our hearts to be a church that's a Jesus-celebrating, hope-explosion, transformative church right in the middle of Austin, Texas, that's going to change the world. We believe that. We don't just say it. We, I wake up every single morning excited to see how God's going to use what he's doing here to change what's happening 
everywhere, and we know that we can't do it alone. We've got the best team in the world. I mean, if you don't get much time with Andrew and Emily Weibel and Moses the Chosen Chun, um, then you need to because your life will be richer because of it. Uh, but, but we just have felt that real reality that we need some help that's going to put some more kind of skin on the bones, if you will, to this dream that God has placed in our hearts. And so we honestly, the, the big roadblock for us is, is that we just had no idea who. We, we, we felt the need for it, but we didn't just want to get a space filler. We, we wanted to find the person that was going to really jump in and almost embody who we are before they got here. So that their onboarding would simply just be building relationship with you and not kind of learning the culture of what makes us us. And, and so honestly, in our desire for that associate pastor, it actually led us to a really hopeless place, okay? And, and because we were like, well, who in the world can that be? Like, like, and we would rack our brains and be like, well, they would be rad, but there's no way that they would come. And, oh, that would work. But, like, they're, you know, they're the senior pastor of the biggest church in Atlanta, so they're not going to come. So, like, what, like how is this going to work, you know? And, and so, you know, we were just dreaming all up here. And I, I got a random email from a guy um, who Liz and I have known for years and was just like, hey, you may or may not know that we're in a bit of a transition. They were pastors of a Antioch church in, in outside of Chicago in the Wheaton, Illinois area. And they're like, hey, just so you know, like, we feel like God's transitioning us. And um, uh, we just felt like we we're supposed to reach out to you. We don't even know if you're in need of anybody or if it's like that. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, is this really happening right now? Because they're like a dream. They're like such a dream that you wouldn't even ask them. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like. That'll never happen, so, like, I'm not even going to go there. And, and they reached out to us and, like, hey, would you even consider us potentially just beginning talks about what it would look like if we came down here? So I'm trying to remain calm and not sound needy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, when someone asks you out, right, and you're, like, so excited but you can't be excited, you're just, like, cool, like, it happens all the time. Be like, yeah. So I emailed him back, and I'm just like, you know, that's very interesting. We'd love to begin to talk about it. You know, we'll see what happens. But, like, I'm literally calling Liz, like, I'm about to forward you the best email in the world. And so that began a process of us kind of having these incredible Literally, no exaggeration, two to three hour conversations on a regular basis, talking church, talking life. And um, we, through that process, really were like, man, I think they're it. I, I think that we found uh, that associate pastor that's going to help us go to the next level. It's going to make us better. It's going to make us whole. And so I want to introduce you via photo to Chris and Christy Otts. Um, you can't really see them. Um, and they're, they're amazing. They've got four amazing kids, Micah, Gavin, Sawyer, and Sweet Chanel. And um, we, we couldn't be more pumped that they're going to be jumping in with us. And, and just for, for a timing uh, reality is that what they're going to be doing is they're going to be spending a couple of months in Dallas um, kind of settling in and getting back into Texas life. And enjoy, they sent us pictures. Like, literally, they left snow in Chicago, and they sent us pictures of them swimming at his parents' house, and they're like, welcome to Texas, you know, and I'm like, hey, welcome home, bro, so um, uh, they will be actually joining us full-time at the end of March, beginning of April, uh, and we couldn't be more excited about it, but you're going to begin to see them around, and when you do, go give them a huge hug, let them know you're so excited to see them, 
because they really are going to make us better. You're going to love their kids. Uh, you're absolutely going to love them. Uh, and I really think it's going to take what God's doing here to the next level. So be encouraged, guys. Like God is building an amazing thing here that we all get to be a part of. Isn't that good? All right. All right, here we go. Business out of the way. It's time to go to work. Thanks, Flynn. You're so faithful. I love it, bro. I just need you, dude. I need you in my life. All right, here we go. Week three of our Advent series is called, the Advent series is called? The Coming, right. Twelve people have been tracking with us. Thank you. Um, the coming, right? Advent is a season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where churches all over the world lean into the reality of Jesus' coming, coming. And Advent is actually derived from the Latin word come. And so we've been looking at the reality of what it meant that Jesus came. And so Advent is actually broken down into four kind of aspects of what happened because of Jesus' coming. In week one, we talked about hope, right? We talked that hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is unshakable believing. Can I say that again? Hope is not just wishful thinking, but hope is unshakable believing. And oftentimes, we struggle to live full of hope because we get, we get drowned in our circumstances when we serve a God of seasons, right? And so although you might be going through a winter, a harsh winter creates a spectacular spring. And so we, we talked about we can have hope in all and through all because Jesus came. And, and when he came, everything changed. And we can have not just this idea of hope, but unshakable believing that he will do what he said he was going to do. And that led us into week two, which was all about peace, right? Peace that surpasses all understanding. And we talked about thankful equals peaceful, right? That if you find yourself in a storm, when the waves are crashing over you and you're tempted to leave peace and grab panic, we can look back and be thankful that we've made it through storms in the past, and the act of being thankful will remind us that if Jesus said we're going to get somewhere, we're going to get somewhere. That he is faithful. Therefore, when we feel out of control, we can have peace that surpasses understanding because Jesus is in control. So although we feel out of control, we can rest in the fact that Jesus is in control. And this week, we're going to talk about joy. Everybody say joy. If you have a Bible, jump with me to Luke 2. We're going to read 12 verses, which is kind of a lot of scripture to read, but please bear with me. It might be on the screens. We bat about 50-50 on that, but I feel good about today. When you're there, say amen. Three people. I'm rocking. Here we go. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that had taken place in a while when Quintilius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to marry to him, and, and she was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And there was shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the moment where Jesus entered the world and the news flash from heaven was, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Can I say that again? I bring you good news that will cause cause great joy. This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of you can't have it. You can't have it. Can we just say that? You can't have it. One more time, like you're at church, not golf. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have my joy. You can't have my joy. This word, this, this passage this morning struck me because of the word cause. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Actually, the definition to the word joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness or emotion evoked by the well-being, success of a good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's an emotion. Joy is an emotion that is evoked because something happened. And so because of that, joy can feel a little bit like a roller coaster, right? It can kind of feel like this. Can we roll that? Roll that clip. This is joy summed up. Okay, how many of there's some great audio to that? I'm, it's a bummer it didn't work, but he was screaming. He was like really excited that he got ice cream, and then he dropped it, and he was screaming, right? How many of you can relate to that idea of joy? Just pure elation when you get the ice cream cone, and then as soon as you get it, you drop it, and all of that emotion that was evoked by this amazing experience is lost, can you relate to that? Can you relate to that experience of the highs and the lows of trying to chase this idea of joy? Well, this definition explains to us why that happens. It's because joy literally is on the back end of receiving what you desire. And this explains very clearly why most of us don't have a lot of joy. Because to live a joy-filled life would equal meaning a life that doesn't want anything else. Because if you were filled with joy, then you would have possessed what you're longing for, and therefore it would evoke, it would cause great 
joy. But how many of us walk around and say, like, you know what? I really want nothing. I want that to sink a little bit because that was actually a funny joke. Like, how many of you, like, are, seriously are like, I don't want anything. Like, I'm good. I, everything I have is, and said nobody, right? There's something in us that always wants something else. And, and so you get the thing you want only to realize you want something else, right? And so you're like, man, if I could just get that, I would never want another jacket in my life. Right? And then you, you, you save up and you make it happen and you go get this jacket and then you get it and then you're walking down the street and you see somebody else wearing a different jacket and you're like, actually, if I could get that jacket, then I would want. We always want more. We, we have this kind of built-in longing that we're going to get something else, that our wanter is driving us, and that is actually robbing us of joy. And, and I'll tell you, in our desire to want, we don't have much grace for what we don't want. Have you felt this? I felt it. Our very first Christmas, Liz and I spent together. I love you. I love Christmas. I love it. I love giving gifts. I really love receiving gifts. I love everything about Christmas. I love Jesus. Top, okay? And the ultimate gift, the greatest gift. And just throwing it out there. So um, I, I was so excited for this gift exchange. I mean, this is our first Christmas. So much thought. So much intentionality. This is going to be the greatest gift I've ever received in my entire life. We are one. We are one flesh. She knows me. No one should be able to give me a better gift than Liz. This is the best Christmas ever. I dive into this box with like the greatest expectation of any gift ever. I open it up. I look on the front, and it's a chess slash checkerboard. Okay, I don't play chess. Okay, I haven't played checkers since fourth grade. And so I'm looking at this, and, I, and guess what I feel? Disappointed. I, was, I did not want this. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew it wasn't what I got. And I look at it, you know, our family's there. It's first Christmas. They, like, give you stupid cheesy ornaments that say, like, your first Christmas. So everybody's, like, all ooey and gooey and smushy. And, and like, I'm just looking at Liz like, for real? And, like, everyone else is excited for this moment. And so I'm, like, choking on disappointment. And, like, I, I did not want what I got at all. Now, the rest is sure. We've worked through it. I don't even remember what I got you. Okay, so we both failed. But it's a better story. I have the mic, so be quiet. We've worked through it. I got her lamps, okay? Be quiet. Look, okay, we're moving on, all right? Open your Bible. Here's the deal. Disappointment robs us of joy, doesn't it? 
There's no joy in being disappointed. And you know what fuels our disappointment? Comparison. Comparison fuels disappointment. Have you ever experienced the reality of you didn't know you were disappointed until you saw what somebody else got? Right? Like, you, you were content. You were thankful. Your heart was full. You felt known. And then you saw what somebody else got, received. And then all of a sudden, in comparison to what they got, all of a sudden you're disappointed in what you got. And, and comparison literally kills joy. And, and here's why. It's because comparison attacks the character of God. Comparison legitimately attacks the character of God. And this is why the devil uses comparison not just to rob us of joy, not just to fuel deceit, not just to make us just absolutely miserable, but he is distorting our view of God because comparison is an attack on the character of God. You might be like, well, why are you saying that? Genesis 22 is a story of Abraham. Now, Abraham, if you're new to this whole church thing, some of you guys are Bible readers. You've heard that name before. And Abraham really matters. When you study the Bible, he was like God's guy. God chose Abraham to literally be the father of the Jewish people, to birth his chosen people. And he comes with this extravagant word, this massive word, when he's like 75 years old, and him and his wife Sarah have been unable to have kids. And he says like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make you a great nation. And your, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the shore. Like, great people are going to come from you. And now, when what an incredible word, right? I mean, they had longed for kids. And not only are they getting a promise that they're going to get kids, they're getting a promise that they are going to, like, birth a nation. So you would think that on the back end of that promise that she would have conceived, like, that night. Like God would have spoken and then boom, breakthrough. But that's not what happened, right? There's like this really messy, difficult 25 years of waiting and longing and, and, and actually getting frustrated and disappointed that what they thought was going to happen isn't happening the way they thought it was going to happen. And a little side note of the story is that they actually tried to create their own way. They tried to make the promise happen in their own timing and not God's timing, and it led just to chaos and pain and absolute confusion, and so we should take note of that. We need to rest in the peace knowing that if God said he's going to get you there, he's going to get you there. And this interesting promise, declaration, the birth of a people group, God blessing Abraham, takes a weird plot twist in Genesis 22. Because now the promise has gotten traction. They have a son. His name is Isaac. I, I, mean, I mean, this. can you imagine how excited they were not just to, to actually have a son after waiting literally for all of this time, but the beginnings of the fulfillment of a promise, right? I mean, do you think they experienced a little joy? Do, do you think their hearts were filled with joy? I think they were. And in this interesting plot twist that happens in Genesis 22, for, for honestly, guys, for years, I did not understand why in the world God would ask Abraham to do this. 
And, and let's just read it together. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. I mean, this is a complex moment. It's hard to understand why in the world a loving God would speak a promise and then fulfill the promise and then ask the man who had waited for this promise to sacrifice it. Like, why in the world would God do this? I mean, this is a radical question, but a very important one, because at the root of the question in Abraham's heart is the same root to the question in our heart. Do we really believe God is good to his word? Do we really believe that God is good to his word? Because most of our inner struggle revolves around that question. God, you said you were going to restore the relationship that I have with my parents, but it sure as heck doesn't look like it. God, you said that we were going to get pregnant, and we're not getting pregnant. God, you said that you were going to heal my marriage. Doesn't look like it's getting better. God, you said that you were going to provide for us in these uncertain times, and it sure doesn't look like I'm getting any provision. Is God really good to his word? That is the question. So Abraham does something that, honestly, guys, I don't know if I could have done. Because I think Abraham is revealing to us something about joy in this. is because his hope and the promise was not that he had anything to do with it. So he was unshaken. I'm sure he was grieving, but he was unshaken in what he didn't understand because he knew that God was going to be faithful to do what only God could do. And so he takes his son and they make their way up to this mountain and they get all the way to building the altar. And around this time, Isaac begins to realize something is not right, dad. We're getting all this stuff. We've got the fire. We've got the wood. We're building the altar. I see you've got a bunch of rope, but I don't see a sacrifice. And Abraham responds in a very revealing way. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Unshakable believing. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And Abraham gets all the way to laying his son on the altar, and he's got the knife extended above it. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in his mind? And then he hears, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch him. Don't touch your son. You, you, you've shown me that you see me. And it says that Abraham looked up, and there was a ram in the thicket. What do you think he felt when he looked up and saw the ram in the thicket? You think he felt joy? 
Do you think his heart swelled with the same joy that he felt at the birth of the promise, at the literal birth of his son? I think he did. I think that he experienced an emotion that was evoked by possessing what he wanted. And so he goes and he gets that ram and he actually takes his son off of the altar, puts the ram on the altar, and they sacrifice it. Now, I want you to understand something, that this sacrifice was a burnt offering. This was a sacrifice that anybody could do at any given time to just renew relationship with the holy God and a sinful man. This was, this was seriously just a re-up on relationship with God. That's what this burnt offering is. When, when he says, I want you to go offer this burnt offering, that's what it was. It was a re-up on relationship. It was a statement that I'm going to renew what has been broken because of sin. I'm going to make a way in this moment for you to experience more of me. Even though you've acted like this, I'm going to demonstrate this. And there's renewal of relationship with a holy God and sinful man. Now, how do we beat the comparison trap? How do we begin to live in joy? I mean, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible is very clear that we, if you follow Jesus, we should live in joy. But if our joy is caused on the back end of receiving what we long for, then ultimately our joy is out of our control. If joy is evoked because of possessing what we want, I can't create joy. I receive it. I receive joy because I am possessing what I long for. So Luke 2.10, I think, reveals to us much about how we beat the comparison trap and begin to walk in this unshakable joy because it says, I have come to, with good news. If you translate that word differently, the same word can also be translated to the word gospel. I come with a gospel that's going to cause great joy. And, and so think about this. Abraham experienced a great joy because God replaced his son. Do you see the good news that causes great joy? Jesus replaced me on the altar. Jesus replaced you on the altar. That is good news that causes, evokes, and creates great joy. So if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you are burnt out and burnt up trying to create an emotion, chasing your disappointment, hoping that tomorrow is going to be a better day, but you just keep looking at your neighbor, saying, man, I'm never going to get that, so I must not be favored, I must not be loved, I must not have what I need because I don't have what they need. You might need to look up and see that there is a ram in the thicket and you have been replaced. And when you're replaced, you can experience joy. Am I talking to somebody right now? You need to understand that you are 
not going to receive what your sin deserves. That God is renewing relationship with you through the sacrifice of his son. Because Jesus laid on the altar, we can experience joy. Come on, somebody. Can you stand to your feet? I'm wondering if anybody here has experienced being replaced on the altar. Has anybody here been replaced? You've been replaced. Look, I want you to do something. I want you to dig deep in your disappointment right now, and I want you to choose to praise in the middle of your pain. Can you do that? Because sometimes we get lost in the pain of being on the altar, and we forget that Jesus is standing saying, I'll take your spot. And so what I want us to do right now, I want you to risk a little bit, all right? I'm going to give you 10 seconds. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to replace your pain with praise because Jesus replaced your life with his. And so that will cause a great joy. And that your mourning is going to be turned to dancing. That your, your pain is going to turn to healing because it will cause a great joy. You guys ready? You got 10 seconds. Give it some praise. Give it some praise. Jesus replaced you. Oh. 